Today we continue into our, our second um, message in our Watch Your Mouth series. I don't know about you, my mama was always telling me, boy, you better watch your mouth. <laughs> I'll wash it out with soap or something. Every parent has some kind of saying around that. And uh, I heard about this experiment um, that happened a, a little while back. It was called the Big Apple Experiment. It had nothing to do with New York City. But what they do, did is this lady who's like a um, inspirational speaker of sorts. She took an apple and she cut it in half and she put it in two, two jars, covered them, and on one she wrote hate and on the other one she wrote love. And the experiment that she did for herself first was to every day for the next like, couple weeks, I think, just speak hate over this half of an apple in a jar. Just speak nasty things and mean things to an apple. And then in the other one, she spoke loving things and positive, positivity constantly to this. And would you believe that the hate jar, that apple, decayed at like a much greater rate, like noticeably, visibly, very much decayed and like rotting from the inside out, where the other one at a much, much, much slower rate. I know that's tough to believe. And she, she didn't believe it either. So she said, all right, I'm going to I'm going to now do this with like 2,000 people. And so she found like 2,000 people to, to do this experiment with her. She's like, well, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe something with the environment. Let's test it. 2,000 people did the exact same thing. 86% of those 2,000 people saw the exact same results. Okay, I have trouble believing that because it doesn't make sense to me, right? It doesn't make sense to me. And, and you may have trouble buying into that, and, and I think I'm, I'm struggling with it too. But regardless of it, it, it illustrates a very powerful point that there's power of life and death in our tongue. And words make a huge difference in our lives. As adults, many of us, we're struggling still with things in our life because of what was spoken over us as a child. Whether that was failure, or you're ugly, or you're dumb, or whatever that might be. Some of us might have struggled into adulthood, and maybe we've gotten over some of those things, but maybe not. Maybe we're still facing some of those things. Or maybe it wasn't so long ago. Maybe it was a little more recent. Or maybe you're on the other side and you were on like the brink of like desperation or suicide. And if it wasn't for someone coming along and speaking words of life into you, words of love into you, you, you might have quit. Maybe it's that side of things. And you've seen, you experience the power of words. that They're hugely powerful. If we go all the way back to Genesis... We see that God spoke, and it was. The psalmist describes this really well in, in the 33rd Psalm. He says this, He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. Is that six million? Yeah. By the word, I'll use that one, different translation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. See, throughout the Old Testament, we see God creating first out of nothing, what's known as ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. That's what the texts tell us, that God spoke from nothing and created. 
And then we see God showing his power over the wind and the waves and over life and death. We look to the New Testament and we see Jesus exerting his power over water molecules, time, space, life, and death. The power of God, but by his very word, it speaks in that. The scriptures, um, you see, every, every message that comes from God has power and it has authority. Ephesians 2 says that, that this same very breath, the ruach of God that breathed out over the waters, that was hovering out over the waters, that breath of God, that same breath lives inside of us. In him, the whole building is joined together, the church, and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. It's that same spirit, pneuma, ruach. That's the, that's the Greek and the Hebrew language for it. And it's, they didn't even say a word. It was just breath. <sighs> like it wasn't even like a sound. It wasn't even a word. It was just breath. Because that's what they were communicating. Is it's the breath of God that is his spirit. And it's that same spirit that lives inside of us. So think about that for a second. The same breath that called everything from nothing into something, who spoke and it was, the same breath that put stars in place and spoke by that word, that, that breath fills us, fills us. So I, I want to set that stage that there is power and authority in that breath. And so when we call it out, there's, there's power in that. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So when we understand the power of life and death in our tongue, what's going to follow is power. And so this is way deeper. This is way more than the power of positive thinking. This is way bigger than that. And this, this isn't this kind of name it and claim it stuff. This is about aligning our hearts with the will of God and understanding that there is power in life and death in our tongue because it's the very breath of God and the breath of God has authority. And, and, and Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, not in the name of Kyle, not in our individual name, not selfishly, not asking it in vain, but when we line up, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, the desires of our heart, way deeper than what we ever understood, come to be. And so I want us to talk about this. I've been stirred all week. I study a lot of passages to, to just know where to go this morning, and I was compelled by Mark 10 and. I don't know that I've actually ever preached this text, so I'm looking forward to, to speaking this morning. Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It's a story of blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus. Like, even like how he's known in the Bible has to do with his condition, blindness. Like, it's stuck in there. Like, whatever, I think how we want to be known at the end of our life, like, his would have been blind. <laughs> like, blind. We want to be known for more than that. And so let's read the text, and then we'll kind of unpack all the context that makes this such a rich, rich uh, scripture for us. Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. Uh, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet, jumped to his feet, came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Followed Jesus along the road. This text is really interesting because it actually comes up in all three of the synoptic gospels. Synoptic means to be seen together. Seen together. Optic, seen, sin, together. Synonymous. So the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all record it, but they all record it a little differently. Luke doesn't include, he, he actually says very similar to what he says here, except he doesn't use Bartimaeus by name. He's just a blind man. Matthew has some differences, and we may find that there's contradictions there, but there's really not contradictions. It's really just perspective stuff and understanding kind of the history here. So, so Mark says that, uh, that they came to Jericho. Matthew actually says that they were leaving uh, Jericho, or they were coming to Jerusalem. So they basically said they were going opposite ways. Well, the, you say, well, that's a contradiction. How could that be so? There was actually about four cities called Jericho in this era. And two of them were still remaining, still up and, and running. So they're talking about two different cities. So if he was standing at one spot, it looks like he's coming. Another spot looks like he, he's going. They're, they're, they're moving. And so depending on what perspective, as he stopped, it's not like he, he's watching the whole kind of walking scene necessarily. And then Matthew also includes that there was two people there. It wasn't just Bartimaeus there, but there was another blind man. So again, that may look like a contradiction, but it's not necessarily. He just doesn't include the other person. He, Mark just highlights the one where Matthew includes both, but it does help paint a, a bigger picture about what was going on there. And so it says, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd, I think all of us, we immediately assume that Jesus has just kept in his ministry a large crowd following him everywhere he went, right? Well, actually, the scriptures tell us around and around that as Jesus' ministry went on, and we're at the very end of Jesus' ministry on earth, this is his next to last miracle before the resurrection. His last miracle would be putting a man's ear back on after one of his disciples chopped it off and he puts it back on in the garden. This is, this is the one right before that. And it, so it's at the very end of Jesus' ministry. And the scriptures tell us, and John 6 actually is, is, is really clear on this, it tells us that as Jesus' ministry went on, he lost disciples. I mean, we see it in John 6 because he, he turns to Peter and he says, are you going to leave me too now? Are you going to leave? And I love Peter's response today, and it's perfectly appropriate for our, our, our text. Peter responds to him about this. He said, where would we go? For Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Again, out of the mouth, Jesus has those words of eternal life, and that's the, that, that breath that's living in, in us as well through the Spirit. And so we're, we're painting this picture that this large crowd is actually not people who were following Jesus, they're walking with it. Most of the time, actually throughout the scriptures, it says that the large crowd was following Jesus. This was more together they were moving towards Jerusalem because Passover was coming up. So the people that were actually together in this crowd were a bunch of religious Jews. These weren't Jesus people. These were anti-Jesus people. And the, the text actually confirms this because as we look through the text, when he heard this, he, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him. Right? If these were Jesus people, they wouldn't be rebuking a man crying out and calling him the son of David. Have mercy on me. They wouldn't be rebuking him. So these are religious folk. These are religious people that are going up to do their religious Passover duties. And so I, wanna, I just want to unpack this for just a second now that we've got a little bit of the context of the situation the way I see it, blind Bartimaeus has three options here, and the options might feel really similar to us. 
if we find ourselves in any kind of situation, maybe we're not blind, but maybe we're spiritually blind. Maybe we're not blind, but maybe we're depressed. Maybe we're hurting, maybe we're broken. Just maybe, there's probably something going on in our life that we want to cry out about. But I think blind Bartimaeus has really three options here. First is to be silent, to stay silent, and stay blind. And a lot of us get to this place. We might have faith that at one point we heard about Jesus, but then we just kind of get apathetic because nothing changed. Another day went by, another promise, another, another failed promise, and we just lose faith. We begin, begin to just get apathetic, and we're just like, forget it. Forget it. We keep thinking things won't change. But at some point, we usually get sick and tired of being sick and tired. You ever been there? Sick and tired of being sick and tired. We get to that place. That's where blind Bartimaeus is at. He's over it. He's over it. So he doesn't want to stay blind. Most of us, we wait until we hit the bottom, right, in order to, to really cry out to God. But, but what if, what if, maybe you're at the bottom today. Maybe that's really where you're at. For a lot of us, maybe we're not at the bottom. But there's something going on in our life that's building resentment, that's building doubt in our life. And we've just kind of accepted the words of death over it. We've just kind of accepted that. We've just become apathetic about our situation, that nothing's going to change. Blind Bartimaeus chose he didn't choose option one. Option two, he can cry out, and then when people kind of tell him to shut up, he shuts up, and he stays blind. He can kind of respond to the environmental factors, if you will. So the first was an internal emotional decision for him to, to, to overcome the apathy. The second one was, how am I going to respond to the external factors at play? To my mom, who's not, and I'm not talking about my mom, but I'm just kind of playing this out. To my mom or my sister or my brother or my friend who keeps telling me to stop talking about this Jesus stuff. I don't want to hear that anymore. It offends them. They don't believe. Or someone just tells you you need to just calm down with all that Jesus stuff. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's another external factor that's so doubt in your heart. I don't know what that might look like. So that's our, our second option. And, and what I love here is that he doesn't buy into that second option. He doesn't buy into that either. We get to a place of desperation and hunger to see or for something to change. And we can wait till we get to the bottom. Bartimaeus has lived. Most likely he's lived blind his whole life. And in some of these conditions in our life we might have been living with. I feel like speaking life is faith filled breath and words coming out. That's, that's speaking life, and that's when he, he really chooses the third option. He chooses the th- that he's going to cry out until something happens, until Jesus hears him, and then in this, he, he, he finds healing. And most of us in our life, we don't, we don't persist in this manner. We find ourselves apathetic. We find ourselves just kind of buying into doubt and not being persistent in faith over whatever that situation is, whatever that mindset is. Um, and so I, I, I want to spend some time on this kind of third, third thought that he cried out until something happens. And I want to talk to you about learning to cry out to God. There's three quick things this morning. It's going to be like the short, one of the shorter messages I've preached in a while. So but I feel like I'm going to drive it home and we're going to, we're going to go with it. 
Learning to cry out to God is, is absolutely essential. And what's beauty, what the beauty in it, it, it is, is that this blind beggar that people walked by every day and disregarded, like we disregard the homeless or a beggar many times in our city, just walking by them. This blind beggar caught the attention of the Messiah. And he stopped Jesus in his tracks. And we cry out to God. He stopped him in his tracks. And I'm not, and that may, that, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that in order to put us above God because he holds the authority. But he is so compassionate. That's why Jesus came to this earth to show us the compassion of the Father. And God hears every request. He hears, he hears the cries of our heart. And he'll stop when we cry out. But so many times we're just apathetic. And so let, let's talk about let's talk about crying out to God for just a minute. The first thing that I think we can learn from Bartimaeus here is to be persistent. To be persistent. So many of us look at the external factors or the doubts we have, and they, they get us to shut up about certain things, or time that goes on, or a difficult season. Maybe you were going really strong in your faith, your relationship with God, but then it got hard. And man, I thought this Christian thing was supposed to be easy, but then it gets hard. But I, I want to tell you that the process, defi- or the process refines us, but the one who calls us defines us. You, you may be letting what's happening against you or what's happened to you define you. But God wants the process to refine us. He had to have a little more faith. He had to exert a little more against the external pressure that was there. And maybe you've been defined by the external stuff, that you've been defined, oh, I'm, I'm just doubter, I'm just this, or I'm just that. But we're defined by the one who calls us. And he calls us, and he's going to make us whole. We're defined by him. We're refined in the process and and during the process. And we've got to keep on being persistent. We have not because we ask not. Keep knocking, keep knocking. Keep aligning our hearts with God's heart. And none of this sets aside the sovereignty of God, right? And that's just a whole larger conversation that we can have in this. Because throughout the scriptures, we see people who are healed, who it was the faith of their friends that seemed to make it. The guy, they let him down, and the faith has made you whole. It wasn't the faith of the guy laying there, it was the faith of his friends really to do the work. Other times, Jesus just heals just because he wants to heal. So many of the times, it's, it's, an, it's stepping out in faith. The woman with the issue of blood, she fights through a crowd and touches just the hem of his garment, and she's whole. There's persistence. There's always going to be something to fight through. Be persistent and be faithful and let God do his work in his time. And we trust in that. It builds trust when it doesn't happen in my timing. It, it, it builds trust. I mean, if everything just always worked out perfectly, I prayed, I would begin to treat God like a genie in the bottle, right? 
right? I'm, I'm praying for the, the, the new car, not because I need a new car, just because I want a new car, right? Um, we begin to pray very selfishly as opposed to, to line up with God's will, and I believe it's his will that we're whole. So be persistent. We're refining the process. Not everything's going to come easily. And what I've found is those things I've had to be persistent on, those things I've had to be fight, really fight for. Hindsight's twenty twenty, and we get to, get to the next kind of pit stop, if you will, and we look back and be like, man, that, that hurt. That hurt. That was a tough process. But man, I'm a, I'm a different person now. I've been refined so much through having to be persistent. My faith has been stretched so much with having to keep going when I couldn't see it, when I didn't believe it, when there was resistance, when I had to keep pressing on. That refined me, and I wouldn't change that for the world. The second thing I think we can learn from Bartimaeus here is to be specific. I'm a little bit of a picky eater. I used to be a lot of bit of a picky eater. I'm just a little bit of a picky eater now, uh, mainly when it comes to condiments. I'm not a fan of condiments. Keep your mustard, keep your mayonnaise, keep your ranch, keep your honey mustard. Just not a fan. I heard an amen on that. It's first amen today. Good deal. On honey mustard. <laughs> I know it's landing today. Um, I'm, I'm just a little bit of a picky eater. And, and nothing like drives me crazy like when I spent eight bucks on a burger or something, whatever it costs today. Um, and I, I get it back home, and I either left out a detail, like no mayonnaise, please, and I'm just disgusted when I open it up. I'm like, Bleh. Um Sorry, I'm really grossed out by mayonnaise. I worked in a sandwich shop when I was like 16 or something, and we had to stick our arms down these giant tubs of mayonnaise. So yeah, I'm, but like these big gloves, it was disgusting. Um, and so when I've seen... When I get my burger and I'm so mad, I'm like, oh, did I not tell them or what happened? I thought I said it. I'm almost certain I said it and I wasn't specific enough. You, you ever have that with like a specific order and you just don't believe they understand you? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, no, like when I'm talking about how I want my steak done, like medium rare, like, you know, not, not pink. I, w- I really want some blood in there. I'm not afraid of it. So what, whatever that is for you, you, we're really specific about those things. And the thing is, is that he asked Bartimaeus, he asked Bartimaeus for what he wanted. It's like, all right, Captain Obvious, quit with the jokes. I obviously believe you're the Messiah. I'm calling you son of David. That's why everybody's mad is because he's, he's saying that in faith. He recognizes him as not just a miracle-working man. He recognizes him as the long-awaited Messiah. There's, there's faith in there, and he asked him, what do you want? I, I doubt he asked him like that. What do you want? A little, little bit better tone, right? It's a little more of a Jesus tone. Um, and he answers him. It's not a shocking answer. If God knows the hairs on her head, he knows what we're going to pray. Romans 8, 20. Eight, I believe, is that Romans 8, 28? 26, I think it is. The Spirit knows and groans on our behalf. The Spirit of God, that breath in you, even without you saying it, God knows. Then why does every single time that Jesus comes, why does he always ask this? He always does. What do you want? <laughs> there is something about us saying it. When we, when we cry out, as Bartimaeus, there's something about that, and it hits, 
the ears of God. And I think it goes back to some of the things I was just sharing at the end of our, our, our time of worship there. Of being honest. What is it you really want? I think most of us, we live in fear to be specific with God, that he might not come through. And I say this all the time around here. I, I stole the quote, but God honors big prayers. He's, not afri- he's, he's offended by your small prayers. He's not offended by your big prayers. God honors specificity. Speci- uh, forget that. He honors specific <laughs> prayers. That's a hard one. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say specificity or whatever. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, God honors specific prayer. It takes faith to pray that. And the truth of the matter is that when I ask for specific things and I don't get it, do I lose my fear or do I, do I lose all faith in God and do I just go down this hole like, oh, my God's not real? Or do I just kind of step back and be like, I trust God. I trust that he knows better than I do. And I'm struggling with what's going on. I can't handle it. It makes me angry. I'm hurting because of this situation, whether it's being blind or depressed or, or whatever you're fighting through, whatever the external things that have happened or happening. Do I lose trust or, or does it just build faith? And I'm going to cry out all the more. I'm going to cry out all the more. God's in the details. He knows the hairs on your head, and, and he, he can handle the specific prayers. In fact, it's a sign of faith, and so he prays specifically for this. Taryn tells the story, many of you have heard this story, of when we first moved here, and, and we were kind of living on a shoestring budget. I think she might have shared this like six weeks ago, but it's worth bringing up again. We were living on a very shoestring budget, living on savings for the most part when we moved here, and... Um, we were out of toothpaste, like just straight up out of toothpaste, right? And uh, frankly, just didn't have the money to run off to the store. And, and God hit Taryn with this one morning and said, well, why don't you just ask me for some toothpaste? And I know you're just thinking, it's two bucks, man. You weren't hurting that bad. No, we probably weren't hurting that bad. But God said that to her, what, what do you want? Like, why don't you just ask me for it? He said the same thing that he said to Bartimaeus. Why don't you just ask me for it? Taryn said, God, I would like toothpaste, and I would like it. I'd like my toothpaste. And so in the next, like, hour, a gal that was a part of our very, very small group of people that we were beginning, a church wasn't even launched yet. It was just a small team of people buying into the vision, calls and says, hey, what are you doing today? I'm off. Um, I want to bring you something. I'm like, okay. Well, she comes, and she brings us a whole load of groceries, like a whole load of groceries. Um, just so sweet, just thoughtful, just out of nowhere. And in that load of groceries is a double pack of Taryn's favorite toothpaste. Okay. Now that could have happened on Tuesday, or it could have happened on Thursday, and it could have happened on Friday, it could have happened on Saturday. It happened on Wednesday. I'm making up the day. I don't really know what day it was. But it happened on that day. Like in, within the hour of her praying for toothpaste. And she could have got all the groceries and she could have got them all there and she could have even got her toothpaste and it could have been another brand. But it wasn't. And it was a double pack of her favorite. And then within like 48 hours at our house, another guy that was on the team showed up and he said, man, I really need to get some toothpaste. And Taryn goes, I've got extra. I've got extra. God knew 
He knows what we need before we even ask it. But there is something about being specific and about calling out to God what we need. Bartimaeus, <laughs> Bartimaeus might have been offended by the question, by having to be specific. God, you're supposed to know. Don't begrudge that opportunity to ask. You have not because you ask not. I wonder what's on the other side of our ask when it aligns with God's will. I wonder. Uh, and then finally, be whole. He says, your faith has healed you. It's made you whole. Your faith has healed you. We learn this. We're crying out to God. Like when we, we become defined, refined in the process and defined by the one who calls us, that we can walk in the wholeness and the newness of the new work. I've always built this image in my mind. I don't know why. I think it's because early on in my journey with the Lord, I grew up in church, and I kind of knew the religious thing of church, of like coming and doing this thing. And I didn't understand the relationship. And as I really begin to, to invite and open my heart to a real relationship with God, I struggled. There was a lot of ups and downs, and I con constantly felt myself climbing up a, an emotional and a spiritual and a physical struggle with sin. I felt myself climbing up a ladder, and every time I'd, I, I, I'd sin, I'd just feel like I'd fall to the ground, and I'd pick myself back up, ashamed. I kept doing this, and I kept doing this, and I kept doing this, and I felt like I just got more ashamed every time that I sinned, every time I fell short. And then I learned the gospel, That the grace of God, even though I don't deserve it, is catching me and setting me forward towards greater things than him every single time. That I'm moving from glory to glory. That I'm taking a step forward every time in that. And Paul says, so what should we do? Just because grace abounds, should I sin more? And he said, no, like with exclamation mark. No, we don't continue to sin more. We open our eyes to this beautiful grace and we respond in love and walk in the life that he's called us to. And I've always had this image of, the, of that ladder. And then as I began to find my place of freedom spiritually, I had the picture of the astronauts with the flag. Is that in the moon? On the moon? Yeah. The, the flag in the moon and the astronaut holding that flag. God has put that flag in the ground for, for healing and wholeness, for new life. And I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to walk in it. In order to walk in the new, we've got to let go of the old. And, and what's beautiful about Bartimaeus is his persistence. But he like comes up out of his garment. <laughs> when Jesus says, come. Like he throws off his outer cloak and like, Telling me to come? Yes. Yes. I want, what do you want? I want to see, man. I want to see. Your faith has healed you. And what's beautiful is that he begins to follow Jesus from there. All these other folks that are kind of walking along the side, they're just religious folks. Bartimaeus has been made whole, his sight has been restored. His faith, his faith that he stretched out. Jesus says, your faith has 
healed you. Your faith has healed you. And, and maybe that faith in your heart is just a single mustard seed. And that's all that Jesus says it needs to be. And so I, I want to encourage you to set the past in the past. Let go of the old. Embrace the new. Put your hand on that flag of freedom and walk in it. I love what Psalm 81.10 says, and I'm going to end on this. I don't think they have it up there. Psalm 81.10. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it. That is such a beautiful text with all this stuff. I just feel like it brings everything together. David is saying this about the people of Israel who lived in slavery, much as Bartimaeus did to his blinded eyes. God, the scriptures tell us that God plants that seed of faith in our heart, and it's up to us to exercise it, to, to, to take that step. Open your mouth, and I will fill it. So maybe you don't even know what to pray, as Romans 8, 26 says. The Spirit's groaning on your behalf. But maybe, just maybe, you'll have a moment with God this morning. That's What do you want? Have an opportunity to be apathetic and keep saying the death over it, keep speaking the hate to the apple in our jar, or we have an opportunity to open our mouth in faith, regardless of what's going on, and speak life over that. Let him fill it with words of life and truth. Speak it over that jar and walk in the wholeness and healing that he calls us to and follow him, follow him. Like Bartimaeus, he was probably right on Jesus' heels. Like he couldn't get rid of him. Jesus was like, all right, need a little bit of space, bud. <laughs> need a little bit of space. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know where this is resonating with you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what is in your jar. I don't know what's been coming out of your mouth about yourself, about your family, about your church, about, about your career and where you're going. I don't know what you've been declaring over your family, but I'm just going to tell you, he's the one that brought us up out of Egypt. And if we open our mouth, he's going to fill it with words of truth, with words of life. So I want to invite you to stand today. We're going to pray, and I'm going to invite you to this table in a moment. God, I thank you for your word that is so rich to our hearts. It's so rich. I, I pray that it falls on, on hearts this morning, God, that are ready, are ready to open their mouth and let you fill it with life. Fill it with truth. God, for those that have just kind of rested in apathy, rested and just kind of gotten used to the way things are, relationally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I pray that we would learn something from this blind beggar. We learn how to cry out, how to be persistent, how to have faith when no one else is, and people are telling us to shut up. We're just going to be persistent. We're going to be specific, God. We're going to walk in the newness of life that you bring us. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, all of it, God. We're going to walk in that newness of life. We thank you for this time. We declare it, God, that we might walk in it. That we might walk in it in Christ's name.